And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We love Fullscale around here at the Startup Hustle offices. So today's guest, I, I'm super excited. I always love it whenever we have the opportunity to interview someone who comes from one of our top startup episodes. Uh, today, we're talking to Rod Reason. He is CEO and co-founder of Springbuck. Uh, and Springbook was one of our top indie startups. So check out that episode. It aired on May 10th uh, with myself and Matt DeCourcy. Uh, it was a fun episode to record for sure. And now we get to talk to Rod uh, and we're going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff, but we're going to be talking about Springbook and we're going to be talking about healthcare and data and we're going to be talking about the startup life and it's going to be a really great show. Rod, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thanks, Lauren, for having me on. Absolutely. And congratulations, man, on getting a top indie startup. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. We have a good team. Yeah. Well, and we're going to hear more about that team. But first things first, let's go ahead and back up the truck. And I really, I just kind of want to hear a little bit about you. I want to hear about Springbuck. You know, tell us how you came to be here. Tell us your story. Okay. Well, this is always fun um, when you get on these shows and you say, tell us your story and you never know. It is a very broad-based question for sure. Right. And no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Um, so, you know, I think I'm, I'm like a lot of other entrepreneurs um, who um, I, I think uh, had saw pain points in markets and have uh, this desire to go do something that's um, bigger than life. Um, so, that's who I've always been. Um, I, I grew up in a blue collar family. My dad was a factory worker for 32 years, but even on the side, he started buying and selling cars, buying and trading cars. And my mom was in um, working for Avon, um, actually going out and knocking on doors, trying to convince people to not just buy the products, but also to sell the products. So naturally had kind of this mother that was in the sales side, dad that was a bit entrepreneurial, but neither one had you know, had a, a business school um, upbringing, but had learned it um, in a very uh, rudimentary way, learned what that entrepreneurial spirit looked like. Um, so at 13, I started buying cars, um, flipping them with my dad and uh, making money and just having fun. Um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you couldn't drive and you were buying cars. Heck yeah. Um, that is teaching. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, I, I, have a, I have four children and, uh, you know, I think teaching this to your children is, uh, is something that's been fun for me, but, uh, yeah, um, at an, at a very early age started to, um, be very interested in cars because of my parents. So, yeah. so that's where that, uh, bug I think, uh, started. Um, so throughout college, uh, high, high school and college did some of that and, uh, um, drifted more towards 
the financial services space. Um, I love the idea of investments, stocks, mutual funds, and read a bunch of books at an early age around that topic. Um, when I graduated from college, got into the financial services space, working for a broker dealer, um, growing out my own financial services practice. Um, at that time, that would have been in the late, late, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and grew a successful practice, but was kind of bored. And I think that this is a trend I've heard, um, as I've talked to other uh, entrepreneurs is you, you get to this point where it's like, yeah, I'm doing well financially. I make good money, but I'm bored yeah. and there's nothing worse in life than being bored. I mean, there's plenty of things that are worse in life, but, uh, um, you know, for, for me being bored was, uh, dangerous. I was either going to go create problems or, or solve them. And so, sure. um, started out in another space, uh, was listening to one of our customers. And this, as the story goes, was a large um, uh, cafeteria here in Indianapolis. They had uh, about 1,100 employees and the investor, or the, uh, the owner was one of our, one of my customers on the financial services side. And he said, hey, I, I can't really invest the way I want to because this health insurance stuff is killing me. Can you help me out? And my first response was, heck no, the last thing I want to do is be in the insurance industry. And he said, no, seriously, you need to take a look at this. I think there's an opportunity um, to take what you do into, into our industry. And so I said, fine, I'll take a look, but I want to be fee-based, pay me for what I do. If I create value, then, then maybe there's an industry here. Yeah. And so uh, the deeper I got into it, the more I realized that there really was an opportunity uh, to bring good advice and information to a very complicated decision point, which was um, group insurance, uh, which to try talking about insurance to your friends um, and they will quickly change topics. It's just one of those frustrating or very, very complex industries that most people just ignore. Um, but once you get inside of it, you realize that there's a lot of opportunity to um, create innovation. And that's where we were. Um, so in the early 2000s, started uh, to, to drift over into that industry, ended up growing one of the largest benefit practices here in the state and ended up selling it um, eight years later to a publicly traded company, um, along with the financial services practice at that time. So that's that's been the first part of the journey. Um, and I'll pause there to to let you ask questions and then we'll open it back up. No, I, I love it. And I, so, so I do have to tell you, I want to take a, a step back for a moment and just say that I love the fact that regardless of what you were doing, whether it was being very young and buying and selling cars or, you know, getting into the financial service industries and then ultimately like making it over into the healthcare space. I love the fact that you, you had that entrepreneurial thought process kind of driving you right um that that's just always really impressive to me because i think that that entrepreneurial mindset more so than actually being an entrepreneur is what drives really creative resourceful people um so so i just love that so i, I wanted to just acknowledge that really quickly and kudos to your parents for modeling and instilling that that entrepreneurial spirit in you super super cool so so talk to us you saw this need within the healthcare industry. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? You know, you were told that there might be an opportunity, you were kind of resistant to it, but then decided to pursue it. What was it that kind of drove that thought process that maybe there was something there? Well, you know, in any industry, you have 
intermediaries that often exist to help translate complexity into simplicity. And the insurance industry is no different than that, um, specifically for HR folks who are trying to provide a good benefit offering, um, which includes insurance to their employees to be able to uh, you know, attract and retain people. But it's a very, very, very complex space. And especially if you're looking at um, doing what's called self-funded or purchasing reinsurance, it's just very, very complex. So the industry is full of intermediaries called insurance brokers or consultants. And they're a necessity uh, because it is such a complex space. And we kind of came to the conclusion that there was a way to innovate around the complexity by using data and information to be able to help that, that process um, actually flow a little bit more seamlessly. Um, so the first foray into it was actually getting into the industry and becoming a broker consultant, but with a, a slightly different economic model at the time, which was being fee-based um, being paid for the value that was delivered in advice versus just collecting a commission. Not that we didn't do that in some instances, but in the most part, it was changing the economic model to be sitting on the same side of the table with the employer as the consultant saying, here, partner, is what we need to go do versus here, customer, is what I want to sell you. So this is a different thesis. So we brought that to the market and we weren't the first, but uh, we were certainly one of the earlier adopters of that that economic model. And that's pretty much the way the business, the industry does business today. Incredible. Ultimately, we, um, that that new model, which is, uh, you know, what I, what I would argue is what is the, the industry today um, proved successful because that's what, anytime you align yourself ultimately with the buyer's problem and exchanging the economic value that you create, that's a business. Um, if you're not aligned with the economic value that you're creating and you're extracting uh, more value um, in the economic exchange and the value that you create, you're going to be displaced in any in, 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 in industry, not just this one. So, right. um, so we ended up uh, having an opportunity. I got bored again um, and said, you know, Hey, there's, there's an opportunity to do something that's bigger than just trading my time um, for money, which was what I was doing. In essence, I had a team around me, um, but, uh, ultimately, um, my wife and I started to just pray about and think through what do we want to do next? And, um, within a short amount of time, we had several different folks that approached us and we were able to, um, transition that business to a publicly traded company, um, which set me out on a new journey, um, which was fun. Uh, we took that, <laughs> that same, uh, that same knowledge and experience, um, at that macro level of. Um, how do you create value and better the decisions and started to investigate the industry. I spent three years um, off market in essence, uh, not having a business, um, going out and doing uh, a, a larger SWOT analysis of the healthcare space and ultimately came to the conclusion that there was an opportunity to bring a data driven solution to the market in the form of an analytics tool. And then we launched Springbuck in 2015, um, which is where we're at today. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that there are many of our listeners at home who would agree that, you know, data is a decision maker. Um, and so so having having data at your command, being able to to collate it, read it, uh, it helps you make better decisions. Right. So talk to us about how Springbuck kind of turn, turns data into an actionable tool that you can use, because I'm really interested. I, I, I don't think there's anybody out there 
who doesn't realize that there are a lot of challenges in the U.S. healthcare system. And so I, I think that, you know, Springbeck, what you're doing is you're creating a solution that helps individuals and organizations make better decisions. But talk to us a little bit about what that looks like as far as it, like how it's implemented. Sure. So let me back up um, just maybe two steps here and maybe just oh, give please. an overall um, kind of macro lens around um, what we've seen taking place over the last, uh, call it 12, 15 years, just as human beings. Yeah. Um, you know, no one would argue with your thesis that data helps you make good and good decisions. Um, but access to information has been relatively difficult to get to over the last decade. What changed that obviously has been the pervasive nature of the internet and the access to every piece of information, it seems. And so right. now, instead of having the, the the problem of no access to information, we have another problem, which is too much information, too much access to information. And so what, what any tool set um, in this macro economy will look at in the data field is how do we actually make that information useful? So from, from our perspective, the, the biggest question was, how do we understand the problems that are the biggest opportunities within a population and then hone in on what do we do about those problems? And in healthcare, um, specifically in an employer-based insurance product, um, what you're looking for is the most opportunistic way to change the highest level levers and then um, the least costly way of, of moving those. So I'll give a very, very, very simplistic um, understanding. Um, and I'll use me as an example. I, okay. I occasionally get migraines. Um, so this is uh, HIPAA information, but I'm going to share it publicly. Um, I, I occasionally get migraines. And so um, I have at my disposal Sumatriptan, um, which is a generic alternative for Imitrex. Um, Imitrex is a lot more expensive because it's a brand name medication. I can take Sumatriptan and a roughly month supply of Sumatriptan will cost me $6. So super wow. cheap. Um, if I wanted the brand name medication for that, um, for that same medicine, medicine on my insurance plan, it would cost me $28. So not a big deal. Um, uh, 28 bucks versus six bucks. You're not talking about millions and millions of dollars of difference but, but it sure adds uh, up over time and it's absolutely a frustration absolutely. that doesn't need to be there so that's that's what we saw six years ago what we saw was holy cow there are these small things that you can add up into um, what ultimately can become billions of dollars of inefficiency in the healthcare landscape and i gave you one yeah so so the thesis was okay if we could use the data that's available use modern paradigms around data science, machine learning, uh, and to and then create a user interface that was easy to consume, we could possibly move the, lead, the needle for employers across the United States in the tune of billions and billions of dollars. That was the original thesis. Um, yeah. And that's what we do. We, you know, six years later, I was just talking to a friend of mine that um, we were two of the earlier stages or folks at the team, and he's now moved on, but, uh, we were kind of reminiscing that that was our idea. And, you know, six years later, we have 4,000 employers in the platform. Um, on average, we show $1,000 worth of potential savings when people join the technology, $1,000 worth of potential savings per employee. So magnify that at, uh, you know, a large employer. There's a lot of opportunity that we expose with the technology. 
That that is awesome. And I I, I have to tell you, like I kind of had a, a general sense of what Springbook does, but just hearing you explain it, it it really it it feels like it has the power to be quite transformational for the healthcare industry. I mean, you're talking about one of the I'm somebody who doesn't really have a whole lot of insight into the healthcare industry beyond being a consumer. And, but what you're telling me. Um, yeah, this sounds really, do you feel like your, your product is disruptive? <laughs> um, we absolutely believe it's disruptive or we wouldn't have started the company. Um, that's a, that's a softball question, but <laughs> you know, um, every now and again, I come out with them. <laughs> um, no, that, that is awesome. Congratulations. Um, so, so tell me this, what, what are you kind of foreseeing as the, Spring, springbook future, like the five-year plan, what would you like to see happen? I think that's is what's most exciting is what's going to happen over the next five years. Uh, we, we took the first five years uh, in this space, what you realized, and you, you have to actually just look back um, at where the industry was. The biggest issue was access to data. That is not a problem anymore, but it certainly was five and six years ago. So right. you can gain access to data and use it in a meaningful way. We think that we are on the leading edge of taking that information and curating it so that that consumer of information actually knows what to do with it. And I think that's been, I call it the industry over the last four to five years has been not just giving access to information in pretty charts and graphs, but curating it in a way that the consumer actually can act. And plenty of, of BI tools will talk about actionable intelligence, but putting information in front of someone is not necessarily making it actionable unless they have the intelligence to know what to do with it. Sure. That's where we see the, the real opportunity in the future is to move beyond what we call predictive information into truly prescriptive at the individual in, individual. So taking that rod reason of the world who is using a medication that shouldn't and doing in that, you know, throughout a, an entire society, creating efficiency, that that on the surface seems so logical, but in practice, if there's any any healthcare folks listening here, it's it's still baffling that it's not happening at scale. We right. believe we can do that at scale instead of just these one-off phone calls and saying, hey, do you know that there's a generic alternative, but actually creating a an efficient healthcare system at scale in the United States. So, so what you're talking about is, is and, and again, and, and I'm not trying to softball you, but uh, what you're talking about is is transformative to an entire industry, and and it, and, and it it's an industry that touches every American life, right? Like we, well, every every global life, really. We all we all need healthcare, and and so so let me ask you this: give us a you you gave us a a personal use case, but for an organization that uses Springbuck, like talk to us about how they take us through a journey, how they could use that information to create a better culture and better healthcare, uh, health management initiatives impact through Springbuck. Um, let me do that as part of this overall kind of point of view thesis on healthcare. Um, to mention, people often use the word healthcare and what that means to them is something, um, it, it may mean the, the entire macro lens of healthcare. It might usually mean um, just the delivery of care that we call 
uh, you know, health around the human body. Yeah. Um, if you break healthcare into two sides, the point of view would be that healthcare has a financial mechanism, um, which is typically on the, the buyer side. You as an individual likely have or purchase some form of health insurance to mitigate the potential risks of an extremely expensive cost. Uh, it's insurance. It's the financial mechanism. You're a buyer in that scenario. Then there's the delivery side of healthcare, which is all of those that are wanting to give you services in the case that you need those services. So there's two sides of healthcare that are logical that creates business. Historically, one of the biggest difficulties with the two sides of the, the marketplace has been that the deliverers are rewarded for more delivery of care. Logically, if you sell more product, you make more money, um, which doesn't necessarily match what the buyers want in healthcare because we don't want to go to the doctor. As human beings, we want to stay healthy. We want to not have to go to the physicians, but when it's there, we want it to be available. But if you have a system that's rewarded based on more care, then it's potentially perverse by nature. What data does is it starts to create a level playing field where you and I start to be rewarded as human beings for less consumption of care. Um, and those that deliver the ability to sell product in that space actually can be rewarded for the same. That's not the healthcare system today, right. but that is the future. We call it accountable care. There's all you know value-based care. There's all types of terminology around it. But at the end of the day, it's creating commonality or unity in the healthcare system so that you and I are aligned. All of the parties in the healthcare ecosystem are aligned. We're just not today. So when it yeah. comes to our product, what we do is we help to create alignment among all of the parties, the consumer, the buyer, which in this case is the employer, and then those that deliver care, digital therapeutics, all the way through on-site clinics to the hospital systems. How do we create alignment across that entire, that, that entire system? You do it through a platform like Springback. Um, I'll pause there. Okay. <laughs> well, so, so that is, that is absolutely fascinating. And I, and I am going to, to break in here really quick and just let you folks listening at home know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, and if, I mean, if we're talking about healthcare, stress is a piece of that. And if you are stressed about building your your software or technology tool, uh, fullscale.io, they're going to be here to help you do that. So, so we, we love them. You love them. Definitely check out fullscale.io. So, so I want to ask you this, and I'm actually, I'm going to take you back. I'm, I'm going to back us up a little bit because right now we're talking about healthcare as an industry. And I really kind of want to talk about, I want to talk about Springbuck as a, as a product or a tool or an opportunity. So talk to us about, you know, you, you had been, working um, in the health sphere, um, you know, benefits and, and things like that for, for a long period of time. What was your thought process when you decided you saw this opportunity, you, ident yeah, you identified the opportunity and you kind of figured out how you wanted to go at it. What was your process for developing Springbuck? Um, I, I'm a thesis driven entrepreneur um, is how I would describe myself. And so um, the framework that, that I've kind of 
molded. I probably picked this up somewhere, so I can't necessarily take credit for it. But how I think about um, business is you is for as a framework of four principles. Number one is who has the what is the problem, um, and a very cl very clearly articulated problem means that you understand it intimately and can describe it, and it is sound. So what is the problem? Number two, who has the problem? Um, and that is in a very similar fashion. You can't say, oh, healthcare is broken. That's the problem. And uh, everyone has the problem. Ah, too general, not necessarily business. Um, the third is, uh, you know, do they know they have the problem? And then the fourth principle, very simply, is are they willing to pay to solve the problem? Right. And for us, the we were coming from integrating or, or working with uh, employers on the buyer side of healthcare. And realistically in the United States, there's really only two buyers. There's either uh, the commercially insured, which are employers or uh, the, the government um, with Medicare, Medicaid. And you, you might say there's some individually insured, um, the, the consumer space, but it's a very small portion. Most of healthcare is actually paid for by either the government or employers. So the lens from the buyer is how do we create efficiency? Um, what we came to the conclusion was that was that the the buyer wanted better access to delivery at the best price. Logically, as human beings, we want to get the best value for the best cost, but they didn't know what that was. So we said, what if we could bring all of the data together on um, what's happening and then use modern paradigms like data science and and great data warehousing capabilities and actually apply those modern paradigms to the very problem set of what the buyer had, which was the best value for care. And so that's what we did. Um, I'm probably being too generalistic um, in the explanation, but that was nah. the problem that we saw. <laughs> okay. And so, so when you were developing this tool, talk to us a little bit. I, I'm, I'm very curious about this because I feel like you're pulling a lot of very complex levers uh, when you are kind of, when you're bringing this data together. So when you were thinking through like the user interface, how did you develop that? What mechanisms did you use or methodologies did you use to figure out the best way to present this information to um, your, your potential customers? Um, I love that you went here because this was one of the other issues that we saw in the space was that um, in the data analytics industry, when, just the term data and analytics is going to turn off a lot of folks because it's, it, it is a, a space where you're either drawn to it or you're not. It sounds yeah. very, very official and very uh, <laughs> right. cerebral, I almost. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we, we felt the same way. So if, if you're in an industry that sounds complex, then you, you have to understand is the user at the same level of complexity. And the reality was that they weren't. Um, most of the users that are on the healthcare buying side fall into the departments of human resources. And human resource, depending on the, the sophistication of the employer, might have their own chief medical officer or someone that's in the actuarial side. Maybe they have their own data science um, on staff, but that's typically gonna be limited to call it your top 500 largest companies in the United States, your fortune 500 um, yeah. below that, which is the majority of employment and the majority of, of uh, businesses by number um, 
likely don't have that level of sophistication on their teams. So they outsource it to a third party, which would be the broker consultant space. So our thesis was, what if we could bring usability um, at the most complex? We have a, a clinical a physician on staff. We have a pharmacist on staff. We have data scientists and actuaries. Bring all that complexity, um, but not in the consulting fashion, actually bring it into software. And then distill it into a very, very easy to consume information set. So I'll give you one example that's very, very tactical um, to help out. We have this thesis that um, it's easy to look at CPT codes and NDC. So those are just all the medical claims codes. Yeah, sorry. But those are the <laughs> whenever you go to the doctor um, or get a, a prescription, you're going to produce those types of codes, CPT codes or NDC codes. Right. Those codes are easy to look at historically on an individual and say, yes, it's like a um, watching a movie the second time, you know what's going to happen. Not real, not a lot of science there. But what if we could take that information and we could say, based on what we know about you, um, we can predict what the movie's going to go say. So not what not having watched it before, but you knew you had this intuition but beyond intuition actually had good data science models to say, I believe that this person has a pathway to X, Y, and Z. Right. That was our thesis. So we developed um, an event detection algorithm, um, which just does just that. It's a machine learning algorithm that was designed to be able to say, um, who are the people in the population that potentially have diabetes? They may not know they have diabetes, um, but they are certainly acting like a duck, quack, quacking like a duck, they look like a right. duck, so that they're probably a duck. And using very sophisticated data science models to actually drill into that information. We did it. And we actually have tuned it to three different different um, disease states and we're tuning it again. Um, so we can predict within the population who may have diabetes before they're ever exhibiting a, a, a claims code um, that they have diabetes. Pretty sophisticated, wow. pretty awesome. So then what do you do with that is that the information then helps that employer say, well, goodness, if if I'm only historically, I only know that I have 10% of my population is diabetic, but I have another 10% that could, now it informs that employer to say, hey, I want to get ahead of this potential expense and I can help the human being. And at the end of the day, and I always get goosebumps when we go to this stage, because at the end of the day, everything we do is about preventing disease with data. And it's about helping you and I as human beings live a healthier, longer life. Right. And if we can do that with information at this level, it starts to become quite compelling and far better than other things that you know you as human beings can go do. That is absolutely amazing. And I have to tell you, I, I do, like, as you're talking, you know, you're definitely throwing around some terminology that I'm not super up on, but I am actually a diabetic. And so as you were talking, I just felt like this very deep vibration in my soul where I was like, that's so cool. Uh, so, so thank you for your work. I just want to say that both personally and I'm speaking for everybody as well. Um, thank you for for your time and attention on this matter. That's amazing. Well, now um, we've both shared uh, HIPAA information publicly. So that's right, we're both that's probably right. in trouble here for this, but. <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like normalizing talk about health issues, it's right up there with, re you know, releasing that stigma around mental health. Like we need to talk about this stuff. We need to, you know, and I love the fact that 
your tool, Springbook, is helping people do that. Like you, you're, I, I am sure, um, you know, you're definitely causing conversations organizationally and culturally around health and wellness and how to, to your point, get out in front of issues like that preventive care piece and that, um, you know, seeing what we can do to help people become healthier. Like, I just, I love it. Like I'm sitting here, I'm just so excited. Uh, <laughs> that is, that's absolutely amazing. So I want to ask you, and this is kind of a general question and, and this is definitely a softball for sure. Um, but, you know, talk about, talk to us about some ways that, that organizations, companies could not just use Springbook, but but use data and use use this intelligence that you're able to provide to help their their employees, help their teams become healthier. What are some actionable tactical ways that they can do that? Well, I mean, at the, the macro lens, it's not that difficult. Um, we as human beings know what we need to do. Um, we need to not drink Diet Coke every day for every meal, go to sure. McDonald's um, and then expect to you know, live to into our hundreds healthfully you know, in a healthy way. Yeah, we, we know instinctively what to do as human beings. Um, the, the whole idea behind using at the macro level, using this information is to help um, employers make the right investment into the areas that are the most opportunistic for their teams. So. I'm just, I'm going to not give a specific example, but I'll give a general idea. Um, one way that you've mentioned uh, a few minutes ago is around this idea of mental health. And, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't really talk about mental health. It was something that we um, kind of held to our own, um, just going to tough it out. And so there wasn't a lot of conversation around it. Um, now we're finding that, you know, coming back from the Iraq war, Vietnam, there's all this idea around PTSD. And there's a lot of real um, science behind mental health as an issue. Um, and so you see some startups that are in this space that are focusing on that industry. Um, the reality is that COVID uh, really started to expose um, the, some of the problems that um, individuals had in their work-life balance, um, in potentially their setting. And uh, so it's a real issue and I think, uh, you know, some of the Olympic stuff that we've seen has has kind of exposed some of uh, that as a real issue to be discussed. For sure. So if you know then at a macro level that this is happening in society, one question that HR directors are always asking is, is this something that I have? And that's kind of our point in using a solution like Springback to really hone in is to say, hey, listen, you may be hearing about this. It's a very popular topic to be to, to be discussing at the moment, it's it is there is a potential that it is real, but is it is it real for me, meaning my business? Right. And that's where data can be used to say yes or no or maybe. And so what we do is then we apply data science to say yes or no, and then here's the direction that you may take. Um, so it's going beyond the guessing and getting into the specifics. What we don't do is we're not in the mental health industry. Um, we would work with the partner in that space to help the employer deliver on a solution for individual care at that individual member level, um, and then bring that information back into our system so that you can actually see, did that tool do as they suggested? Were they able to improve outcomes and so on? 
So we're, we're kind of a middleman in between, um, creating a, a truly agnostic or Swiss bank view of the information of both. Here's the problem, here's a potential um, provider, and then did they do their job? Yeah, and how are you, um, how are you pulling, I guess, SAT score, satisfaction scores, you know, like how are you pulling that, that data? That's been part of the fun part of what I would say, um, the, the again, I'll use the macro word again, but uh, the macro lens around data and integration is that that data is available. Integrations are relatively easy to come by now, um, whereas six years ago, this was still in its infancy. So I think looking into the future, all of what you just asked is it can be done in a matter of, of days, minutes, or or weeks, depending on the you know the solution providers you're working with. And so yeah. that can all be brought in to be able to start to tell the story. Historically, healthcare has been five to 10 years late to the game, and they're now picking up. I mean, not that there's any specific person I can pick on or, industry, or, or a company in healthcare, but healthcare has not been at the foray of data and integration. Um, it just, yeah. consumer product industry has, but there's still a lot of, lot of room to run here um, in creating better um, efficacy of, of, of tool sets, but then also better integration. That is, that is absolutely awesome. Um, I am, I'm so impressed. Uh, so, so I'm so impressed that I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a personal question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Here it comes. I, I feel like it, clearly you are, you're a leader, you know, you are, you are leading, not only are you leading a product, you know, you're leading a company, but you're also leading something of a, a, a revolution in, in the healthcare industry. And I, I just love that. So I want to ask you about your leadership um, and I want to know what are some of the, the, or just give us one, I guess, but what is one of the greatest lessons that you have learned as a leader? I'm just, I'm, I, honestly, I'm asking this for me. This is like a Lauren wants to know question. Uh, but what have you learned as a leader that has enabled you or empowered you to, to drive change within an, a, a whole industry? Um, there's so many, I have several leadership principles written down, but I think one of the learnings is just to be patient. Yeah. Um, most fellow entrepreneurs that I talk to, um, say that one of their frustrations is that they can see the future so clearly for the particular problem that they want to solve and how they'll get there. And then when they go pitch to investors, it's like, they just don't get it. They don't see the picture. I've had to dumb it down. That was my experience was, you know, I see we, we pitched this idea of preventing disease with data. Now in, in the era that we're in at the moment, that probably doesn't seem as unrealistic, but six, seven years ago, when we were pitching the idea of preventing disease with data. People are like, well, are you a physician? Are you a research analyst? Um, why do you believe this? And I said, look at the macro paradigms. Data is becoming more accessible. Data science is real and software allows you to, to do those things at scale. So it's not incomprehensible if Amazon or Google can tell me what new grill I need to buy, um, that we couldn't apply that same type of thinking to healthcare. Yeah. Um, 
so I think patience has been the hardest thing, um, and I never will have it. But uh, <laughs> I honestly, I, th I feel like very few entrepreneurs do. We we all want it to happen right now. We're we're impatient people, and I honestly think that that's a good thing most of the time. But <laughs> continue. Well, and the other P I would back it up is with perseverance. Um, yeah. No no solution you. When you're fixated on an idea that you believe is real, I mean, certainly you need to be willing to recognize um, when your idea is wrong. Um, and uh, as uh, Mr. Wonderful would say, take it out behind the woodshed and shoot it. But um, <laughs> th that that is re that's the reality. But you have to have per perseverance to be able to go through and test the thesis to some point. And then when you get traction, you either validate or you validate that it doesn't work. Um, then from a broad perspective, I use two P's, um, which is purpose and people. Um, if your purpose is sound, ours is to prevent disease with data, then that starts to attract the type of people that you want that also believe in your purpose or your mission. So for me, at, at where we're at in our business, the people are those that, if they believe in the purpose, you can accomplish amazing things no great entrepreneur ever does it on their own. I yeah. certainly haven't. I've had always had fantastic, amazing, extraordinary people around me that believe in the purpose. And we as a team have accomplished amazing things. It's not yeah. just been me. Oh, I love that so much. I love it so much. We often talk about the power of mentorship, um, you know, the, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you. Uh, we, we talk a lot about this around, around startup hustle, because it's just so, so crucial to the entrepreneurial path and the entrepreneurial journey. Because the fact is like, none of us really, and mo actually, I'm not going to say none. I'm going to say most of us do not enter the spaces that we enter as experts in anything, but we have good ideas and we're, we, we are able to surround ourselves with people who can help us bring those ideas to fruition. So, so I absolutely love that. And I'm about to ask you the human question. And I was going to ask you something really silly, but now I'm not going to, because I'm going to pull from the question that I just asked you and the impeccable answer that you just gave. Here it comes. Who are your heroes? Um, I think this falls in two different levels. I mean, my parents have, uh, um, they'll likely never listen to this, so I can, I can say it. Uh, yeah. Your parents do sound awesome, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, your parents teach you so much. And, you know, my parents taught me a good work ethic um, and, had they not set me out on the journey and made decisions that they made to you know, um, take us to church and grow up in a Christian environment and send us to a school that they did, um, I don't know that I'd be where I am today. Um, so, you know, I put my parents as my heroes. Oh, I love that answer so much. That's amazing. Um, so just really, really quickly, want to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Rod. It has been so illuminating. Um, I, I, you know, before we hopped on folks, uh, I, I did tell Rod, I was like, you know, I don't really know much about, you know, healthcare intelligence and I, I don't really know much about this. And, and Rod has been kind enough to kind of take us on a journey. So thank you so much for taking the time. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Lauren. So, 
also want to mention just really quickly, I'd be remiss. Um, don't forget that we have new Startup Hustle podcast episodes. They are Monday through Friday. Definitely keep an eye out. If you're in the e-commerce space, check out Andrew Morgans. He's another one of our co-hosts. His episodes air every Tuesday, and his company, Marknology, is an Amazon brand accelerator company. They do amazing work. So you don't want to miss his episodes. Definitely check them out. They drop on Tuesdays. Also, would be remiss if I did not thank, once again, Fullscale.io for sponsoring Startup Hustle, sponsoring this episode, and being just amazing partners. Uh, they can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. Definitely check out Fullscale.io. And folks, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Uh, we love spending this time with you, and we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.